Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hello, everyone, and a warm welcome to the Let's Talk Religion podcast. My name is Philip Holm, and I'm a guy that's immensely interested in all things religion, history, philosophy, and a whole bunch of other things. I have studied the subject that is often known as comparative religion and have been involved with religious studies for many years now, and I hold a master's degree in the subject, as well as a bachelor's in international relations. I'm sure some of you are coming from my YouTube channel that goes under the same name, and if so, you already know the drill and kind of what we do here. But if you're new, then welcome to this podcast. I hope you'll enjoy your time here. This first episode will just be a short introduction to what we will be talking about and some of the basics of what Let's Talk Religion is all about. Now, religion is, of course, a very broad, vast, really, subject that can be approached from many different perspectives and, frankly, can also be a very sensitive and controversial topic. And while I do have a general expertise in religion, broadly speaking, my previous research focus has been especially on Islam and, in particular, Sufism, which is often described as the mystical side of Islam. So if you ever wonder why there might be an improportionate amount of episodes about Islam in particular, then this is why. This is simply the area in which I hold the most expertise. 
I wrote about Sufism for both my bachelor's and master's theses. For the latter, I study the Tijaniya Sufi Brotherhood in West Africa and a pilgrimage that they go on annually to a village in southern Senegal. For this project, I did field research on location, and I spent extended periods of time with the Tijani practitioners, both in Sweden, where I live, but also on location in Senegal, which was a very educational and transformative experience. Uh, I've also been highly interested in the intersection of Sufism and music, or really religion and music more generally, as I am also a musician and very passionate about that. So why am I telling you all this? Well, for one, I think it's nice if you got to know me a little first as a person, but I also want to point out something about the nature of this podcast and what we'll be doing here. I am trained as an academic and to apply scholarly academic methodologies to studying religion from a scientific point of view, and that is the perspective that this podcast has. We will not be looking at religion from a confessional perspective, that is, from the point of view of a particular religious tradition or trying to make any claims about whether or not any religion is true. Our approach to religion here is merely academic. We'll be looking at religions objectively and neutrally, as much as possible at least. That's a whole other complex discussion about whether or not objectivity is even possible. But anyway, objectivity and neutrality is at least what we strive for here. In other words, we will be exploring various religions in a general introductory kind of way, but we will also dive deeper. I have long, complex episodes about specific religious groups or even individual philosophers, mystics, and theologians and their ideas. There will be stuff about pop culture and the way that it intersects with religion and much more. I started Let's Talk Religion, the YouTube channel, back in 2018 with this very purpose. Religion is such a significant and central part of the world and the way that society works. So if we want to understand the world around us, the political events that take place, the ways that humans interact and understand each other, we need to have a firm grasp of religion and how it works, because it is central, such a central part of all of society. In the last few decades, religion has indeed become an even increasingly relevant part of society, which does go against what many assumed would happen a few decades ago. And in spite of this huge importance, people tend to be, well, not very well read on religion. And that goes for all sides of the debate. Those criticizing religion often have a very simplified and narrow view of religion, and the same can often be said for the other side of the debate, which leads to public discussions and debates that are frankly quite useless since no one has the religious literacy to engage in an informed way about topics that are as complex as this. This is why it is so important that we educate ourselves, and that is what I want to provide with Let's Talk Religion, both in video and podcast form. It is a mission to increase religious literacy in the world in order that we can have more fruitful interactions that lead us in a better direction as a society. And also, this stuff is just really interesting and a lot of fun to learn about for its own sake, which is a bonus. As you'll notice soon enough, I'm a pretty nerdy person and I like to get really deep into some truly obscure and niche topics. Ever wondered about the intricacies of 13th century Sufi mystic Ibn Arabi's doctrine of the unity of being, or magical practices involving the letters of the Hebrew alphabet as a technique of reaching ecstasy and oneness with the active intellect? Don't worry, I got you. But as I said, there will also be much shorter, less intense episodes that introduce you to religions more generally, like what is Zoroastrianism, what is Jainism, what is Sikhism, and so on. 
I can't stress enough how complex and broad the topic of religion is. I've really picked the perfect subject to make content about because I'm never going to run out of things to talk about. We'll be exploring contemporary academic theories of religion and methodologies of studying religion. We'll explore the mystical traditions of the world's religions, theological schools and philosophers. Anything goes because it's all connected to religion in some way. So grab some popcorn because we're going to be here for a while. This is a journey of discovery that is so fascinating and engaging, both for me as the person who makes the episodes, but hopefully also for you as an audience. So to start off this journey of exploring this vast subject, we're going to begin by asking ourselves what seems to be a deceptively simple question. What is religion? What is this thing that we are studying? Some of you listening might immediately have some answer to this question. Religion is belief in God or gods. Religions are organized structures of worship. Religion is opium for the masses and whatever. But don't be fooled. This is actually one of the hardest questions that we can ask as serious students of religion, and a question that no one seems capable of fully answering. The blunt fact is, there is no official agreed-upon definition of religion in scholarship or academia. I'll repeat that, there is no official agreed-upon definition of the word religion. You can look up the word in a dictionary all you want, but all you'll find is usually a half-baked problematic definition that most scholars probably won't agree with. Religion is a fascinating thing because it is a concept that everyone kind of knows what it is. When we talk about religion, we all essentially know what it is that we're talking about, but as soon as we get down to actually defining it properly, things start to fall apart. Now, that isn't to say that people haven't tried to define it. Certainly they have, and they still do. There have been plenty of attempts to define religion or of figuring out what religion is all about. An early example is the anthropologist Edward B. Tyler, who defined religion as, quote, belief in supernatural beings, a definition that most of you might not find any issue with, but which actually comes with a lot of problems. Not only does it look at religion from a very Christian or specifically Protestant perspective, a point that we will return to later, but it also betrays a very strong bias. By defining religion as belief in, quote, supernatural beings, the very definition in itself seems to discredit all religion as believing in things that don't exist. This is also confirmed when reading Tyler more closely and realizing that his argument is essentially that all religious beliefs appeared as failed attempts to explain natural phenomena, another rather outdated perspective that isn't very helpful in exploring the history of religion and religious belief. More influential were other thinkers from the same period, like Emil Durkheim and Max Weber, who provided two different yet pervasive ways of looking at religion. Weber saw religion as more of a psychological phenomenon, as essentially the human attempt of creating meaning in a seemingly meaningless world. It becomes like a coping strategy to deal with difficult questions like death and the meaning of life. Durkheim, on the other hand, saw religion essentially as a social phenomenon. Religion, its symbols, its structures, and all its rituals served to create a sense of social belonging, of strengthening group identity and organization. To Durkheim and those following his line of thought, religious symbols, like gods or totems, function in similar ways to, say, a national flag. They are symbols under which a group of people can unite and which can increase and authenticate their sense of belonging and identity. 
This is a very powerful and helpful perspective, and this kind of behavior can be confirmed in experiments, etc. And full disclosure, I do tend to lean towards a Durkheimian sociological perspective on religion myself, but it still comes with a lot of problems of its own too. If religion is nothing but symbols of group belonging, then what makes a religion different from nationality? Is Americanism a religion? Is football or soccer a religion? They all have symbols and practices under which a group of people unite to create and strengthen group belonging, so that should make them religions, right? But most people wouldn't define them as religions. These are the kind of problems that scholars to this day are struggling with when we try to define the word religion. But thinkers like Durkheim and Weber did one thing much better than a person like Tyler, and that was to include the importance of practice and performance. Indeed, in my opinion, as well as in the opinion of many scholars in the field, religion is much more about what we do rather than the things we believe. Religions are performed and embodied through practices that continually shape and create that religion. Research shows that even in a specific thing like rituals, the performing of the ritual itself comes first, and the theory or symbolic meaning of the ritual is secondary. In other words, we as creatures do things first, and we rationalize our actions after the fact rather than the other way around. This seems to go against how we perceive how these things go, but there is a lot to suggest that it is indeed so. Now, building on the work of people like Weber and Durkheim, there have been many scholars over the last century who have continually improved and studied this topic deeper to allow for new perspectives. Some famous examples include the American anthropologist Clifford Geertz, who followed more in the line of Max Weber, but gave us one of the most celebrated and quoted definitions of religion in scholarship. This one's pretty good, actually, as far as these things go. Geertz defines religion in the following way, quote, a religion is a system of symbols which act to establish powerful, pervasive, and long-lasting moods in men by formulating conceptions of a general order of existence and clothing those conceptions with such an aura of factuality that the moods and motivations seem uniquely realistic. As you can tell, there is a lot of Weber's meaning-creating perspective here, but it is formulated in a more developed way. This definition of Geertz, of how, what religion is, is still used sometimes today. There are those who criticize it, especially for perhaps not including that social aspect that for the followers of people like Durkheim emphasize so much. But generally, this is a rather liked definition of religion that is one of the most popular around. Another more recent example is in the work of Abby Day, who, in an attempt to talk about how religion functions, coined the term believing in belonging. That people primarily believe in their social belonging and identity. That, much like Durkheim argues, religion and belief is primarily interested in creating and maintaining social belonging and identity formation. This idea is further supported by her research in which she can show and argue that belief is mainly a question of performative identity formation and social relationships. This is a topic that I've devoted a whole episode to, which will become available before long. So as you can tell, there are many different perspectives on how one can properly answer the question, what is religion? Another very important perspective that needs to be kept in mind is the fact that the term religion as we understand it is a Western concept and very much colored by that context. 
This means that when we understand what religion is and interpret other religions, we do so from a Western framework. The whole concept of how we understand religion is born out of a Christian environment, and thus our whole view of quote-unquote religion is heavily colored by Christianity. So when we, and indeed many scholars in the past and present, try to study, define, and understand religions other than Christianity, we do so based on a Christian-centric framework. We assume that other quote-unquote religions, if they can even be called that, follow the same model of Christianity. And if they don't, then we try to fit them into that framework, sometimes forcibly. This Christian framework includes many things, but often two or three very specific features. The religion has a founder, the religion has a sacred scripture, and the religion has a creed or established theology. Have you ever read a textbook about religions that try to explain non-Christian religions through this framework? I'm sure you have, and this can be a huge problem. Cultures are different, and religions are very different. If we look at a religion like Hinduism, which first of all could be argued not to be a single religion at all, and we try to apply this Christian framework to it, it doesn't really work at all. It simplifies things to a huge degree. We often see people try to say that the Veda scriptures are the Bible of the Hindus, but this isn't accurate at all. It functions in a very different way. And this is a mistake that we often make when we talk about religions. They don't all fit into a single mold. They're all infinitely complex and different from each other. And to call them all quote-unquote religions brings a lot of these problems with it, even though we shouldn't necessarily give up doing that completely. Even in a religion that is relatively close to Christianity in both origins and structure, like Islam, we can easily make the same mistakes. Seemingly, it fits rather well into that previous framework. It has a founder, it seems, Muhammad, and it has a sacred scripture, the Quran. But to compare Muhammad to Jesus in Christianity, or the Quran with the Bible, creates a fundamental misunderstanding about the similarities and differences between these religions. In fact, if any comparison should be made at all, it would be more accurate to compare the role of Jesus in Christianity to the role of the Quran in Islam. Muhammad, by comparison, could perhaps be thought of as having the same role or a similar role to the Virgin Mary in Christianity. This stuff is a minefield. Even such seemingly accurate comparisons can lead to fundamental misunderstanding. So we should always keep this in mind and understand that religions are very different and we can't apply a single framework or model onto religions other than Christianity without thinking any further about it. This phenomenon also becomes very apparent when you ask people to define what religion is. Many people here in the so-called West will often reply that religion is essentially about believing in God or some kind of superhuman force, or at least that this is a central part of what religion is. Even a seasoned scholar like Edward B. Tyler made this mistake, as we saw. But again, this is a very specifically Christian and even more so Protestant perspective on religion. Protestantism teaches that it is the individual person's well, personal inner belief that matters and not so much outer actions or rituals, and this heavily influences our understanding of what religion is supposed to mean. But if you go outside a Protestant context to the, I don't know, the Middle East or India or any other place, you'll find that perhaps very different things are emphasized. 
Perhaps religion is more about practical things, following certain laws, acting a certain way as a human being. Maybe it's about family. Maybe it's about uh, charity. The list goes on. Religion can be many different things to different people, and we can't be chained to a particular cultural perspective in our understanding of such a broad concept. Here in the West, we today have confined religion to its own place in society. We have clearly defined borders and pockets for different aspects of our lives. Over here is politics, over here is culture, over there is entertainment, and over here is religion. Religion has a specific place that is, as just pointed out, often confined to personal belief, and these different categories of society shouldn't meet, at least ideally, should be kept in their own pockets. And not only is this a very modern and new way of looking at religion or society, a way that does not correspond to the way it worked historically or in many parts of the world even today, but it can also skew our understanding of how religions function today at all in different parts of the world. I'm sure many of you have heard the argument, well, that isn't part of the religion, that's part of the culture. Well, is there necessarily a difference? The scholar Talal Assad didn't think so. He argued that the idea that religion and culture are two separate things is a modern invention. The seemingly arbitrary categories of religion and culture are infinitely intertwined and at times can be one and the same thing. Just look at a religion like Islam. Islam in Morocco looks very different from Islam as practiced in Indonesia. Why is this? Well, some might chalk it up to culture. You could say that's definitely true to some degree, but to see religion as one thing and then culture as another that one influences the other, is that really an accurate picture? One could look at it that way, but I think that it's a very surface level and shallow view of the reality of the situation. In reality, the borders or lines between these two categories are very fuzzy because a religion does not exist independently of the people who perform it and the context or culture in which it exists. The two become unified into a single thing. And this leads us to what is perhaps the most important point that needs to be kept in mind when we study religions, an inescapable fact that cannot be escaped, that religions are internally diverse and that they change over time and place. No religion is immune from this. All religions are diverse and multifaceted. There always exist a multitude of interpretations and understandings. Some say there are as many versions of a religion as there are adherents to that religion. And the second point is also important, that religions always evolve and change. The people who continually create and perform the religion are shaping it in new ways and adapting to new situations and contexts, whether they know it or not. These particular points will be explored more in depth in the first podcast episode that will come out after this one. The main point is, we like to look at the world of religions as a set of fixed, well, religions that believe certain things, practice certain ways, but this is a hugely oversimplified view of the situation. All religions are almost infinitely diverse and exist in many forms. The borders that separate all these kinds of concepts are very fuzzy, and these perspectives that we have talked about needs to be kept in mind as we go forward and try to get a better idea of how religions work and function in society, both historically and today.
all religions are made up of people. And the people who follow that religion, who identify, say, Christians, for example, who identify as Christians, are continually performing and creating that religion. Religions don't exist as concepts or entities out there without the human interaction with them. It is humans who are continually creating and authenticating religions through their performances and practices and discourses about that religion, which means that these religions are always diverse. They are internally diverse, and they will change depending on the people who are performing that religion and their perspectives on it. This is an inescapable reality about religion and one that needs to be kept in mind. We will explore this further in the next episode. So again, as you can tell, asking a question like what is religion is very complex and there are many things to consider and really complicated academic speculation to go through, but it is important. And this first episode was meant to introduce you to the basic perspectives that needs to be kept in mind in order that we can continue this journey with an open mind and enable to understand each other better while doing it. Now again, Let's Talk Religion has, up to this point, primarily been a YouTube channel, and there is already a lot of material on there that you can check out if you're interested. To begin with, this podcast will basically just be an audio companion to that channel. This means that most of the episodes that you'll find here will be audio versions of episodes that are already up on YouTube. I'll be starting the process of releasing old episodes here and hope that we'll catch up with the channel soon enough. But I also plan to make material that is exclusive to the podcast in the future as well. There is some stuff that just works better in audio form, I guess, and I will be taking advantage of that as well, hopefully. So you can look forward to both listening to the episodes that you already love while on the bus or something, but also some exclusive material as well. It's very exciting. Helping me with all of this is my lovely and talented wife, Ayat, through her company Hi-Hat Sound, where she works as a sound engineer. And of course, none of this would be possible if it wasn't for my wonderful Patreon supporters, who not only keep the YouTube channel going, but will now also be an essential reason why I'm able to do this podcast. If there's anyone else who wants to support my work financially, you can find Let's Talk Religion on Patreon. And if you want to experience these episodes in video form with relevant footage, graphs, and other such things, then check out Let's Talk Religion on YouTube as well. Anyway, I should be wrapping up. Uh, the episodes will be coming out pretty regularly at first as we try to catch up with the channel, perhaps as many as two episodes a week. And then once we catch up, the release schedule will basically follow that of the videos, not counting eventual uh, exclusive podcast episodes as well. So again, welcome to the Let's Talk Religion podcast. I'm very excited to be able to do this, and I know that a lot of you guys have been asking for it. So hopefully this will be a place where you can learn a thing or two, and that we can grow this community of religiously literate people even more. So I'll see you next time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.